Welcome to season four of the Fit Farming Food Mom podcast. Connie is a world champion powerlifter, former bodybuilder, and an elite trainer and nutrition coach. As a movement enthusiast and health nerd, she is here on this show to speak with educated guests and dive into the realm of all things health, fitness, mindset, and everything in between. If you enjoy this show, please do us a huge favor by smashing the like or subscribe button and leaving a review. Now, let's get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I am super excited today for you to be joining us with today's guest, Stan Efferding. He is an IFBB Pro professional bodybuilder and also a world record holding power lifter. I don't quite have those accolades, but we do have a lot uh, in common as far as a lot of similarities in our hobbies and our health interests and etc. So I reached out to him and I was so excited that he decided to join me on the podcast. He not only is big into bodybuilding and powerlifting, he has 25 years of experience in the health and fitness space and he has used that to help people not only with performance optimization but also the general population as well. So I'm really excited to have him be joining me on the podcast today. Before we get started, it's kind of funny, he brings it up in the podcast, but drink LMNT, the electrolyte that I am always touting on this podcast. So amazing for your health. I drink it daily. It is tasty, and it's a really good way to encourage you to drink your water. Also chock full of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, which are all things that we tend to be a little bit deficient in. So, as a listener of this show, you are entitled to a free sample pack, and also I believe they are sending out free gifts right now with every order. If you pop on over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, you can get yourself that sample pack and possibly even get yourself a gift. So pop on over there, check it out. One of my favorite all-time products. You know that I wouldn't pump something up unless I love it. That's why I don't talk about a lot of things on this podcast, but that is one that I am truly in love with. Before I ramble on much further, let's get to today's show with Stan Efferding. And I am super excited to have you coming on the show today because you're kind of like myself in a lot of ways. Uh, you're kind of bridging the gap between sports and healthy living, which is really huge. And it's a really hard thing because uh, you and I have a lot of similarities. You were a bodybuilder. I was a bodybuilder. You were a powerlifter. I am a powerlifter. But I'm also into the health scene, really, really huge. And I think that's missing in a lot of today's current sports. So I'm really excited to have you joining me today. Yeah, well, thank you. And it was kind of out of born out of necessity because as competitors, we understand what we put our bodies through. And I, I have a, a, a video out there, a rhino's rant called, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll do damn near anything to achieve our goals. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I do, did for myself and do for my clients now is really mitigate damage. And that's kind of what, uh, uh, what birth the vertical diet was just a better way for whether you're dieting down to single digit body fat to compete in a, you know, bodybuilding figure physique bikini show, or whether you're bulking up to be a power lifter. Uh, there's just things that you need to pay attention to that I think the average, uh, the general population don't understand how, um, how, how much damage that, uh, that we do to ourselves. 
That's the tough part, right? Is you have, and I get clients like this all the time, as I'm sure you do as well. They're like, well, I just want to look like the the girls on the stage in the bikini and they start doing this stuff. And I'm like, well, listen, first of all, you're just reeking metabolic chaos when you get to that point. Right. And then yeah. second of all, you can't stay that way. So then you're looking at just playing this yo-yo game. These competitors take months to look this way. Like this is not something that is is something that should be a necessary goal as to how your looks should be. No, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, when this used to be isolated to the bodybuilding community, uh, you know, since I've been involved in it, I started competing in 1986. And I saw these problems in the early 90s when I was training women for competition. Uh, but now with social media and the all of the, uh, the, the general population, the soccer moms, having such immediate access to these girls in the best shape of their life, they start following these same programs and have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. All of the, like you said, the metabolic damage, the, the female triad, you know, the, the chronic calorie restriction, the uh, amenorrhea, the um, uh, bone mineral density loss, the, uh, the low thyroid function, the, the hair falling out, the you know, all of those things, the, the edema uh, mm -hmm. that, that, that occurs after competition, the, the binge eating disorders, uh, it, it's just tragic. Uh, and, you know, just the sleep loss from thinking you have to get up at 4 a.m. to do fasted cardio in order to achieve this level of fitness. And it, it's tragic. And so I that's kind of a lot of what I started when I launched the vertical diet, really putting everything together to speak out against was these guru diets and these uh, over- uh, over aggressive training programs that were completely unnecessary and counterproductive. Absolutely. Well, let's kind of dive into a little bit about who you are and talk about the vertical diet and then also some of your accomplishments and all that fun stuff. Yeah. You know, bodybuilder out of uh, high school, I was a, a 98 pound wrestler. I was a skinny kid and played soccer and I got a soccer scholarship. I only weighed 135 pounds as an 18 year old freshman in college. And so I went to the gym to lift weights and I fell in love with it. I got a magazine and I saw the bodybuilders and I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder, which uh, <laughs> delusions of grandeur, 135 pound kid, you know, uh, it took a long, long time, ultimately over 20 years to get a pro card, but uh, it was nearly 10 years before I was competing at a, at a national level, just because of uh, the, back then, if you were a six foot bodybuilder, you needed to be 250 on stage. They didn't have the physique class and the mankini, sorry. <laughs> it just didn't exist. And, you know, come to think of it, my first bodybuilding show, I was 158 pounds, uh, which, you know, if I had continued to progress like that and those those classes were available, I probably never would have exceeded 200 pounds, but it just wasn't an option at the time. Uh, and so I started studying exercise science at the University of Oregon. I started working uh, with uh, track athletes and football players at the University of Oregon uh, was personal training, working at multiple gyms and the like, and uh, competing at the same time. So really, the vertical diet is kind of the culmination of all that. After some 25 plus years of competing, it's everything that I learned from college to coaching, to being coached, to competing, to collaborating with some of the greatest coaches and athletes in the world as I've had the opportunity to travel, you know, to 14 countries and all 50 states and, uh, and meet and train with some of the uh, great athletes. And so as I was coaching people, I found that I was repeating myself quite a bit. I was telling them the same things over and over and over again. So I put it all together in a very comprehensive 225-page manual, and I started attaching 
all of the deep dives into the, the videos and articles and peer-reviewed published research to support the uh, you know every aspect of the diet. And I partnered with Dr. Damon McCune, who's a PhD in exercise phys and a registered dietitian who is the uh, director of dietetics at UNLV. And we spent hundreds of hours going over it and making sure that it, it, it met uh, today's you know scientific standard and and we uh, and then we published it and uh, you know I have the vertical diet now the 3.0 version ebook on my website because things evolve since I first launched it seven years ago you know things change they expand I get questions from uh, now it must exceed 50 75 thousand DMs over the last you know six seven years that I've I've endeavored to respond to the vast majority of them and and uh, when people ask me questions that I haven't answered in the book. I update the book with that answer because I know that that's what uh, you know. The, it, what people are interested in, mm -hmm. and so that's that's you know where I came from and how I and how and why I created that book and what it you know what it uh, entails is it's very comprehensive from sleep to diet to uh, digestion to blood testing to injury prevention and rehabilitation, and, uh, just a host of of things that any individual, uh, obviously training you know whether it's strength or uh, power for sport or bodybuilding. Uh, just it's very comprehensive now as to all the questions that that I've had to answer repeatedly because it's generally the same uh, you know cluster of questions that I get, uh, along with a lot of resources to who I think are some of the the best minds in the industry. We're fortunate now. Uh, you know, I didn't have the internet when I started lifting. And so my advice came from the guy behind the gym at Gold's, <laughs> behind the desk at Gold's gym. Uh, and I always say, if I knew now, uh, if I knew then what I know now. Uh, and so we, we have access now to such a, an extraordinary amount of resources, highly qualified, academically credentialed uh, individuals who are as obsessed about their sport as we are. Whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, uh, you can think of the names off the top of your head of the people who have committed themselves to making sure that uh, that uh, that we have good science-based uh, information that's uh, outcome-oriented. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we, and then you and I uh, have tried all of those things, and we put into our toolbox what works for us, and we've discarded that which doesn't, and we try and share that message with our clients. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one funny thing is, uh, you know, I have a hard time personally, actually the social media thing I hate, but I have, I don't share really a ton of what I do for food every once in a while I will, but I am so vastly different from Susie next door who has three kids and wants to make changes. I'm trying to, com like, I'm competitive athlete. I am trying to produce certain energies. I'm trying to do all this stuff, right? And Susie next door is going to have a totally different situation. So I really hate um, th these people share. It's okay to be curious about what someone's eating, but we have to keep in mind that we all have, it's so diverse. And I get asked this all the time and I'll be like, well, it depends that it depends. Yeah. What, you know, that's, that's, it's so different for every person. It is individualistic. I, I can't uh, make a recommendation that hits the general population because it's uh, the, the, everybody has different goals. They have different predispositions, different conditions, whether it's medical or otherwise, um, you know, different uh, genetics. So even, you know, form and technique on lifting is dependent upon people's, you know, individual anthropometry. So uh, it's very hard when I get in front of a group of people, hundreds of people, uh, it's challenging for me to deliver a message that, that, that is, 
that is that isn't very general. As I start to get more and more specific, I realize I have to keep qualifying and 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 uh, you know applying nuance and. It's, it's hard to make a, 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 but when I get one-on-one with an individual, it's super easy because mm-hmm. I, I know how to quickly hone in on and ask the questions and, and get their specific goals and what their current circumstances. So I send out a real detailed um, questionnaire, even when I do individual programs. And while I'd like them to read my vertical diet, because it gives some really good general information, I have to customize, still have to customize programs for each individual client. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the foundations of the vertical diet, because I think that that's an important thing. Obviously, there are some values as to the diet that you think are really important for everybody. What are some of those? Well, in general, with the vertical diet, it's sleep, eat, and train. And I think that's going to be consistent for everybody, whether they're trying to be an athlete or whether they're just trying to improve their uh, general health and, and their energy. Uh, you know, I, I lead with sleep. I think that's the foundation upon which everything else sits. And uh, I find that that is, is woefully deficient in most people, uh, burning the candle at both ends. And, uh, and, and so we, we obviously just getting sufficient sleep quantity. Uh, and that's just a matter of personal responsibility, getting to bed on time and giving yourself an opportunity and allowing yourself even an eight hour window instead of, like I mentioned, uh, you know, scrolling through social media at night, next thing you know, you're not really asleep till 1130 or so, mm-hmm. uh, even though you try to go to bed at 10. And, uh, you know, and then you're doing that 4am cardio thing, stepping over $100 bills to pick up nickels, thinking you need to do uh, wake up early in the morning to do cardio, which you and I both know exercise activity is the least effective method for weight loss in particular, and it, it can be counterproductive. So, mm-hmm. uh, and for, for some of the big athletes, sleep apnea is the obvious problem. Uh, and so we try and identify that right out of the gate and get that resolved, uh, whether it be, you know, getting a CPAP or weight loss. And because um, you know, that's a huge contributor to blood pressure and uh, appetite and um, insulin resistance and you name it, and, you mm-hmm. know, lack of recovery from training. So I focus a lot of attention there. It was one of the first things I did when I was working with Brian Shaw and Hofthorpe Bjornsson and even um, uh, Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles, Dan Green, you know, I'm shocked, you know, because I've been using a CPAP since 1993. Mm -hmm. When I started getting north of about 240 pounds and started waking up tired and, and, you know, being exhausted all day, uh, I I went in and got a, a sleep study and discovered I had sleep apnea and there's degrees to it obviously, and you can use a stop bang questionnaire on the internet to kind of self-diagnose if you mm-hmm. snore and wake up tired and you got a thick neck. And uh, But it's not always weight related. Jordan Fagenbaum from uh, Barbell Medicine is 198 pounds and he wears a CPAP because uh, he's got a thick neck. You know, he squats over 600 pounds and, uh, and he's a relatively young guy too. I don't, I'm not even sure he's in his forties yet. So mm-hmm. um, that's the foundation, sleep. And I focus on that. And I have a whole comprehensive uh, sleep hygiene protocol to your dark room, quiet room, cool room, and uh, dietary measures. And, and uh, uh, you know, whether or not you take a warm shower before bed to cool the core, that, and all of those kinds of things. A, a worry journal that you write in before you go to bed to put down some of your to-dos and things that you're probably preoccupying you. And uh, just a host of those kinds of things that I put in there and, and start with. And uh, and then we go on to let's well, just throw in training real quick because it'll be brief. But that's, you know, between resistance training and cardio is really where, you know, we try and put our attention and, uh, in, you know, the best exercise is the one you'll do. And I'm cautious not to presume that everybody wants to go to the gym and crush weights like we do. 
uh-huh. but at the same time, I, I need to have some sort of resistance training in the program for bone, bone mineral density and mm-hmm. mass retention. And uh, we, we know now and we see all of our longevity people starting to migrate towards weightlifting very aggressively. Uh, Dr. Peter Atia being one of the foremost leaders in that industry now, at least the most popular mm-hmm. uh, and outspoken. Uh, he was always an ultra ultra endurance guy. And just within the last few years, he's really gone headstrong into uh, strength as a uh, you know, a predictor of, of, uh, of decreased mortality, not just lifespan, but health span. So mm-hmm. uh, I try and design a, a, a resistance program that, that uh, they enjoy, uh, because if it's, if it's not something they enjoy, they're just not going to consistently do it. And it doesn't, it isn't um, battle ropes and burpees either. It's an actual progressive resistance program, but finding exercises that, that they aren't averse to. Not everybody wants to get in the squat rack, you know. Right. So I, I I can design you know a whole host of different ways that uh, I can keep it uh, enjoyable for them. But uh, you know at the end of the day, you and I both know that they need to set PRs and progress and and lift heavy enough loads to to provide a sufficient stimulus to get uh, a hypertrophy response. So mm-hmm. uh, we focus on strength uh, and we make that enjoyable. And as for cardio, you know I just I haven't found that people enjoy or can comply with the uh, 40 minutes on the treadmill, you know, four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that exercise activity is not the most effective method for weight loss. We know that people often suffer from what's called compensation, where they uh, crush themselves in the gym or go run five miles, and then they end up coming home and sitting more and eating more because they're tired and hungry. Mm-hmm. So I'm very cautious about that. Uh, my cardio uh, for many, many years, my recommendations has consisted of the 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. And so after a meal, I encourage them to take a 10 minute walk. It's uh, it's something you can do anytime, anywhere. It fits your schedule. It, uh, it lacks the barrier to entry of having to change, get in the car, drive to the gym, uh, you know, all of those things that that mm-hmm. uh, that you, you can't necessarily comply with consistently. Uh, you could do it anywhere. You walk your kids to school in the morning, take a walk after dinner at night. When I travel, I walk around the hotel. If the weather's bad, I'll walk inside the hotel, up and down mm-hmm. the stairs and down the hallways and um, you know, if you have a recumbent bike, then you can, that's what uh, Hofthor Bjornsson does in, in Iceland is he's got a recumbent bike in his garage because you can't always walk up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but you see even the great big athletes. And even when I was working with Nadia Wyatt, who took third in the Miss Olympia, we didn't do any steady state extended cardio. We did three 10 minute walks a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we found is, is that she actually liked to lift weights. And so she would do two a day weightlifting training. And again, this is for a, a competitive athlete at the very, at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just to understand how important and preferable it is that these recommendations and, and they apply, uh, for so many reasons to such a diverse group of people, whether a competitive athlete or a, a soccer mom. Mm-hmm. So now finally, we'll, <laughs> We'll get to diet, the vertical diet. And I understand it. it I said it's a, it's a really comprehensive book, but as far as nutrition goes, I think generally speaking, and I've been through many years now of reading and following all of the, um, uh, the popular people and the, the most academically credentialed uh, influencers in the industry. And again, having partnered with Damon, Dr. Damon McCune, um, well, I tell you, people have, have really started backing away from specific recommendations, like you said. I, I don't like telling people what I eat. Um, and there's very little that that they say now that's that's generally agreeable. Um, now we look at a healthy dietary pattern is what, what we recommend. 
we have gotten through the the um, insulin hypothesis, and, and that's been debunked, and we're finally settling in on calories are king, uh, as you know, many of the people like Alan Aragon and, and Lane Norton and uh, and the like have been saying for many, many years, um, mm-hmm. although we went through a, a phase there with with insulin being the boogeyman and carbs being, you know, poison and, and et cetera. Every, everybody's, I, I think that's played its course and, and, and most people are agreeable now. Even I think uh, Gary Taubes, who was the author of Good Calories, Bad Calories and was a, a prominent um, uh, uh, low carb advocate has acknowledged more recently, somewhat uh, reluctantly that, that, you know, calories are king and that, uh, you know, weight loss is the primary driver of health outcomes, health benefits. Mm-hmm. I was on um, uh, Tom Bilyeu's podcast not too long ago, and I said that even the McDonald's diet uh, will result, uh, if you lose weight, uh, you know, 95% of health benefits are realized simply from the weight loss itself, irrespective of diet. And we now have many, many published research articles that suggest the same thing and there's many paths to the same destination. That's not to say that I would recommend the McDonald's diet. I've, I've said that for, for seven or eight years now. Um, yeah. But uh, for a host of other reasons, yeah. you know, um, you know, adherence, uh, uh, satiety, maybe micronutrient deficiency, fiber. Uh, so, but first and foremost, calories are king. And if you want to lose weight, you got to be in a calorie deficit. How you achieve that goal is really individualistic as to what becomes the least restrictive to you and what you can comply with long term. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people get frustrated because they're like, come on, Stan, just tell me exactly what to eat. Because they're not experts in this industry and they don't, you know, when I go to the chiropractor, I just want to get fixed. I don't want them to give me an anatomy lesson. Right. 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 <laughs> but uh and I do ultimately give them a very specific diet, but I'm cautious to make sure that they have the general knowledge to understand that there's many paths to the same destination. If this doesn't work for you, it's not the only option. Mm-hmm. So that you're not nocebo'd into thinking that you just can't lose weight because keto doesn't work for you. Right. And keto does work for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everyone. No. Uh, and same with intermittent fasting. Some folks just, they, they don't, they don't, aren't willing to do it. They don't comply. They don't enjoy it. And so I want people to understand it's not superior to continuous calorie restriction and it, it doesn't defy uh, the laws of thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not magic and mm-hmm. that it's equivocal in the research in terms of outcomes that uh, when you study large groups of people like they did in the diet fits trial and over 600 participants for a year that out of Stanford, when you control for calories and protein, where you put carbs and fats as a percentage of total calories doesn't matter for weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you can comply with. And they really haven't found a diet that in, that is easier to comply with than the other. Mm-hmm. It's individualistic and there's a broad range of responses mm-hmm. into individual variability, they call it. Uh, when you look at those studies, they might tell you what averages look like, but when you break it down by the individual, you'll see some people had great response and others had terrible response. Mm-hmm. And you, you got to kind of figure out where you fall in that in that group. So right. calories are king. Protein is next. Getting sufficient protein to, to retain lean muscle tissue. And uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyons has probably been one of the most vocal people in the industry about uh, the importance of protein. Mm-hmm. But, you know, protein by itself is not effective uh, in retaining lean muscle tissue. There has to be a, 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 some sort of resistance stimulus. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Same is true for bone mineral density retention. You know, calcium by itself, in the absence of sufficient protein and a loading protocol through some sort of resistance program, is necessary uh, to retain or gain lean mass and, and improve bone mineral density. So they work together. It's it's not any one thing. And then we're on to kind of the individual food conversation. I think again, generally speaking, more whole foods, more fruits and vegetables. Uh, less ultra-processed foods is probably pretty agreeable by the vast majority of people. Mm -hmm. um, carnivores may disagree, uh, but um, you know it is what it is. And again, I'm I'm not trying to uh, shit on anybody's diet here today. When I mention keto or intermittent fasting or carnivore, it's I'm I'm really not because if someone is able to lose weight on that diet, where on uh, you know previously they had been unable to they'll realize the health benefits that I just mentioned simply from weight loss itself. Now, long-term, uh, can they comply? Are there potentially some micronutrient deficiencies that may emerge? Mm -hmm. Vitamin C, vitamin D, calcium, you know, specifically to the, say the carnivore diet, um, mm -hmm. that's very possible. And uh, you know, the same could be true of, a, of say a vegan diet, which mm -hmm. I have a chapter on vegan and vegetarian diets in the book and I've trained those athletes over the years. Um, but there's also some things you need to pay attention to. They, they may get some micronutrient deficiencies, B12 right. being the most notable and, uh, you know, potentially iron and a host of other, uh, you know, supplements that can be taken, which I certainly recommend as many vegans do uh, to augment the diet. So I don't know if I'm getting too far off topic here, but uh, what the vertical diet aims to do is to be as diverse as possible. So I've uh, you and I have both been exposed to the guru diet industry in which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people start eliminating and demonizing particular foods. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, and it's not just the guru dieting industry. We see it in the medical community as well. I mean, right out of the gate, they're like, oh, get rid of red meat. Mm -hmm. and, and you just, you got to shrug your shoulders and be like, well, you know, there's so many. The problem with those recommendations is that the research, the, the epidemiology is confounded by. Uh, the healthy user bias, people who tend to eat more red meat also tend to smoke more, drink more, weigh more, exercise less, and they eat the bacon double cheeseburgers and the Cokes, you know, and you, you have to separate, you know, a lean uh, meat source from the ultra processed foods that you're attaching it to and in, in the, um, uh, the processed meats, uh, bacon and, and, uh, and the others included. Mm -hmm. So uh, they also... In the bodybuilding guru industry, they tended to demonize the egg yolk, they demonized the fruit, they demonized dairy, they demonized salt. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I saw it decades ago that my clients were suffering from, as mentioned earlier, the female triad and iron deficiency uh, and all those things. And so I, I was started to put red meat back in the diet. I started to put uh, dairy back in the diet. And of course, that would be dependent upon somebody's tolerance level as to which dairy I would choose and in what dose. Um, people who are you know, lactose intolerant may need to, to find a, a lower lactose alternative, such as, say, Greek yogurts or even cheddar cheese, and then use smaller doses and titrate them up over time in order to upregulate the lactase enzyme mm -hmm. or to supplement with it or to use, um, you know, a lactose-free dairy. But calcium is important. You got to get a thousand milligrams a day. And, I, and, and I, I don't care how you do it, to be honest. I just, I want to propose that here's the most bioavailable, you know, dense source of it. And if we can include that in your diet, I'd like to. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've moved past 
calories. We've moved past protein. About a gram of protein per pound of lean weight is kind of mm -hmm. the recommendation there. Uh, and uh, we've kind of moved past the percentage of carbs and fats. I, I had mentioned that weight loss isn't dependent upon that percentage. It's personal. Mm -hmm. I will say that performance, especially for anaerobic activities, weightlifting, that kind of thing, sports performance, does prefer to have sufficient carbohydrates. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and, and also higher fat diets and those that have higher saturated fat can elevate LDL. And, uh, and that is a, a definitely a causal factor for, uh, for cardiovascular disease. And so mm -hmm. if, if someone does want to eat higher fat diet, that's fine, but you're going to have to watch uh, what percentage of that is saturated fat, because that's mm -hmm. what raises, causes the LDL cholesterol uh, to be unable to, uh, what they call clearance of cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Saturated fat seems to prevent that. And so LDL starts to climb. Uh, and now we're into micronutrients. And so that's kind of why we like whole foods because things like red meat are so high in iron and B12 and zinc and uh, creatine and carnitine. Uh, and that's not to say chicken isn't also a great protein source, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, the egg yolk with its biotin and choline is very valuable and it's micronutrient kind of it's like the, the multivitamin foods. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't exclude those fruits we see now with the polyphenols and they're generally high in water and fiber and nobody gets fat on fruits. I mean, you'd right. have to, <laughs> the idea that it's been demonized because it, it's a carbohydrate and it might you know, raise your, your blood sugars or insulin level, which is a perfectly normal response to, mm -hmm. to consuming foods, especially carbohydrates is, is ridiculous in terms of the dietary pattern. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then potassium, you know, I, I focus on getting 4,700 milligrams of potassium a day. That's huge. And it's largely, um, uh, we're deficient in, in that particularly athletes. And so I throw in a potato and fruit and yogurt and that mm -hmm. generally gets you your 4,700 once you include those in the diet as part of the foundation. I lead with those. Mm -hmm. And then if, and, and then high satiety foods, boiled potatoes and oranges are way up on the high satiety index. And again, compliance is the science. And if you can't adhere to your diet because you're hungry, uh, then, you know, it's, it's a lost cause. Uh, and hunger does seem to be the primary reason that people go off of diets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, boredom, stress, habits, all those other things contribute. But um, uh, the one, the diet that you could adhere to is generally the one that you're the least hungry on. And uh, willpower is not a good strategy to comply with with mm -hmm. diets. You'll lose that battle every time. The body is amazing. And well, and that, that goes both ways, right? If you have an athlete that needs to eat more, but they struggle to do so, if they have a lot of fats and things that are super high satiety foods in their diet, they're not going to be able to get the nutrition in that they need. So it's all a strategy <laughs> when it comes to nutrition and the, and what macronutrients are going in as well. Yeah, bingo. And I spent a lot of time just now talking about things for people who are trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I do have to flip that coin when it comes to people who are trying to gain weight. Those are the diets I designed for, for you know, Lane Johnson and Hofthor and Brian Shaw and the rest. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a skinny kid who had to gain weight. And the hardest struggle for me was eating enough calories consistently enough uh, that didn't make me feel terrible, didn't give me diarrhea, didn't bloat me. Uh, many times throughout my career, I've I've dirty bulked and ended up with metabolic syndrome, fatty liver, high blood pressure, high blood sugars, high lipids. I've experienced that myself. And so I see that in my clients. We always run blood tests. Uh, I work with Merrick Health, who has made it very affordable now. I used to spend 300 bucks getting a blood test. Now I spend 140. 
mm -hmm. uh, for the same very comprehensive test. And so uh, I've been uh, espousing them quite uh, a lot lately because just because of the affordability, it breaks down a barrier to entry because a lot of bodybuilders just can't afford to get regular blood testing. And I've had over 150 blood tests throughout my career. I did that quite regularly, almost on a monthly basis while I was that's, competing. That's kind of how I am. I, I actually am really interested in what factors affect certain things. So sometimes yeah. I use myself as a little bit of a lab experiment, right? Exactly. <laughs> which, is, which is interesting. So it, and fun, because I'm like, Oh, okay, so here's what happened. It's a great way to hack your system. I personally won't work with people unless they have labs, because they, I think that's such a huge important thing, especially in the athletics realm. How many I mean, not just powerlifters, bodybuilders, how many people do you know that have they 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 don't get their labs done? They're like, Oh, I'm but yeah. how there's so many factors in there that will improve that cut or improve their performance. Like, you know, if you're trying to get someone lean for stage and their thyroid's totally in the shitter, yeah. then you're, you're not going to get them anywhere. You're just going to give them further metabolic damage. So knowing what's going on under the hood is a huge piece of all of this. It's huge. I agree. I, I right out of the gate, I do recommend it for all of my clients. You know, if it's within their budget, uh, it, it's very helpful for us as practitioners too to be able to, uh, have such an obvious sign hey you, you know vitamin d deficiency or hey you've got you know insulin resistance or high blood pressure obviously is in addition to the blood testing is is paramount to to find out about that so yeah i i've been i've been fortunate to have uh to have been able to 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 do that throughout my career and so i was able to kind of stay that's why i believe i had such a lengthy career i see a lot of bodybuilders burn out real quick a lot of powerlifters burn out real quick and I, I think if they're able to keep their blood pressure under control and keep those blood markers under control, they'd have much longer careers. I mean, I set my world record when I was 45 years old after competing since 1986. So, uh, you know, and, and today at 55 years old, I can still go to the gym and train pain free and maintain healthy blood pressure, and, uh, you know, and still have a high level of fitness and lean mass. So uh, a lot of the folks that I work with now come to me and they're kind of they're they're old lifters like me who are burned out. And they don't even enjoy training anymore as a result. And that's a shame. I've been there. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of sad, you know, the pain portion, you know, being a, a big contributor to that. And so I redesigned their training program so that they're not punishing themselves. People come to me, you know, and they're hitting themselves in the head with a hammer and asking me for aspirin. And I'm like, that's no, let's let's focus on the hammer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? So yeah, I, I do uh, the weight gain diets as well. And you're right, I have to I have to improve appetite with that. I, and at all ages, I was just talking to a 15 year old kid the other day who was his parents were concerned because he was underweight. That was me. I had um, a delayed onset puberty. I was 17 years old before I started to grow. And mm -hmm. it was because I was eating craft food. I worked at 7-Eleven. So I was eating the nacho cheese things behind the counter and the soda pops and I was working late to work in the swing shift that goes back to sleep. I wouldn't get home till midnight, one in the morning. And I was getting up at six for school. Uh, so of course my body was like, we're not growing. You're not giving us any of the things that we need to grow, you know, mm -hmm. and it's no different than, than women track athletes who, who end up with amenorrhea because they don't have sufficient body fat or nutrients to, uh, to be able to support uh, pregnancy. So mm -hmm. their body just shuts down and says, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was that was so it's kind of a, a, a sensitive issue for me because that's what I went through. And so uh, when I get a young athlete like that, uh, that I can help you know, improve their, their appetite and, and, uh, and grow, that's you know, it's very rewarding. It's life changing for them. And, and uh, you know, because I had that experience. So mm -hmm. I, 
I work on both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's something also that's tough. I see, uh, that, you know, it's unfortunate, the, the lack of nutritional knowledge in our country really, but I'll see like, uh, the football moms that are putting together all these foods for their football, their kids football team and stuff for games. And it's completely devoid of protein. You've got Doritos, you've got Gatorade, you've got all the things I'm like, come on guys, can we give them some protein, some stuff that's actually going to help them grow and be strong. And like, yeah. we, we let's get some of the good stuff in there. Let's get some hard boiled eggs in there. Let's get, you know, so right. uh, it's, it's really tough because um, I think, and that's a, a really huge thing, right? Is I think that there is such a lack of understanding of nutrition from a young age um, and it's handed down over generations. Also, how about movement? And these are two things, nutrition and movement for our young people that are so important. People are afraid to have their kids in the gym young. They think it might hurt them. But if you think about it, a baby squats perfectly, deadlifts perfectly, does their mechanics are freaking amazing, right? If you watch little people walk around and I find that, and you've probably found this too, training people, uh, when I train somebody that wasn't ever didn't have a farm background or a, a manual labor type background and they grew up in the city or a video gamer they have no body awareness so right. and they had it at one point in their life because when you're a small little kiddo i don't know many little kiddos that don't have body awareness so um you know i i feel like we need to maintain that and groom it a little like get your kids in with a personal trainer have them learn some squat techniques let that grow with them it's so important yeah, you know, and I'm smiling over here because uh, for two reasons, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on both of them, and, and one where you left off there in terms of kids training. I started. I own a gym here in Las Vegas called uh, Sin City Iron, and uh, I started a kids power hour, vertical kids power hour on Sundays at 11 a.m. And it's for little kids. It's for people from kindergarten to college. I say, and I spell college with a K just for fun. Kindergarten to college. And uh, we have little six, seven, eight-year-old kids in there learning to squat, bench, and deadlift. And you're right, it is, I'm going to use this word because the American Academy of Pediatrics uses it. It, it is essential for adolescents to do resistance training mm -hmm. uh, it, for a host of reasons. Obviously, bone mineral density is, is one. You mentioned coordination. A lot of the training is neural adaptation, as we know, teaching your nervous system to be able to recruit and execute these movements uh, and for your muscles to be able to contract and, and collectively work together to affect a task. A lot of the strength uh, that the kids gain initially is really just neural adaptation. It's coordination. Um, it's very safe, but comparable to that of swimming. It actually helps prevent injuries in other sports. It helps them perform better in sports. They mm -hmm. can, you know, force production helps them to run faster, jump higher, and throw further. And, mm -hmm. and if I can get them in there and just squat, bench, and deadlift uh, on a progressive program, and and we're and we actually train them, quote unquote, heavy for their capabilities, understanding that it, it's it's not anywhere near uh, uh, stressful enough to to cause any injury that most of the deficiency is just the fact that they, they're trying to coordinate and learn how to do the movement. Mm -hmm. You can't really overtrain a kid. You could almost train them every single day because mm -hmm. it's mostly neural adaptation and not really muscle tissue breakdown like you'd see in an advanced or an, elder, or an older lifter. Mm -hmm. But it's it's the kids love it. We make it fun for them. I get them under a bar almost immediately, even if their form is less than perfect. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people obsess over form too much. We're seeing now in the literature that there's a whole uh, variety of ways that people can lift as long as they're responsibly progressed over time. We learn the fundamentals and and uh, and then we get under a bar and I set things up so that they can't hurt themselves with support straps and face guards for the bench. And, mm-hmm. and then we get them to play around with things like pushing sleds and throwing slam balls and jumping on uh, plyo boxes and, and uh, doing uh, hangs from a bar, you know, chin-ups, but hangs for most of the kids, they can't do chin-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I help them up and just let them resist and count how long it takes them to come down. I measure these things. I measure what they squat, what they bench, what they deadlift. And I ask them every single week to set a PR. They all know what a PR is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a personal record. Um, and they'll they'll try and do at least what they did last week uh, or add a little weight. And the kids, oh, add five more, add, five, you know, or two and a half more. And, and it's exciting because uh, you and I both know that that's the hook. Mm-hmm. That's how we get clients who aren't interested in training to get interested in training, if we can mm-hmm. show them how quickly they can get stronger, and you and I both understand that it's neural adaptation, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but we leverage that. When they come in, I'll put them on a trap bar deadlift because it's easy to execute, doesn't take a lot of teaching. Um, and I know that, ne- that the next time they do it, they'll be stronger, and the next time, and the next time. And mm-hmm. and that gives them a, self, a sense of accomplishment. It's an immediate reward. It gets them coming back. They'll tell all their friends, I deadlifted this, I deadlifted that. Uh, and that's what hooked us to it. That's what hooks CrossFitters to powerlifting mm-hmm. is uh, just because of the, the once you set a PR, as soon as you set that bar down, all you can think about is the next PR. <laughs> yep, one hundred percent. That's yeah. funny. Um, I always I always joke around, so I I get done at at the worlds at powerlift for the powerlifting worlds, and it was so funny because one of the guys that I met there that was a spotter. You know, you just see people and you appreciate them. I was like, he had the best quads I've ever seen. And I was like, you got some nice quads, buddy. He's like, oh, thank you. And he gave me a hug, you know, and I was like, he's like, I used to be 300 pounds and I cut to 240 and I feel, he's like, I feel amazing. I meal prep now, all the things. But anyway, he was like, how, he's like, uh, how do you train? Like, where do you, like, he was asking me all these questions and I said, well, I'm a farmer. (laughs) And I mean, it's the truth because I'm, I, I grew up moving heavy things around all the time. And so my body awareness is just there because I, I, I would, uh, I attribute it to that anyways, just because I was used to moving heavy stuff around all the time. And used to eating a lot of steak, eggs, and potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, funny story, funny story there. So I have a client, um, and my mom owned a goat dairy. So we always had, uh, had goat milk, but I had a client recently that came to me, 60 years old, cattle rancher, uh, Keystone light diet with uh, with uh, eating just steak pretty much all the time and bacon and all their homegrown beef and then working on the ranch had the highest testosterone I have ever seen naturally, of course, um, in an older gentleman in this day and age. And I was like, dude. The farmer diet's paying off for you, man. I don't know what else to tell you. Well, and I said, that was my experience as well. I said I was an underdeveloped kid um, when I was 16. I, you know, I, I was 106 pounds and I was you know, wrestling. I went to my uncle's farm in Pennsylvania. I was born and raised in Oregon at the University of Oregon. But my senior year of high school, I went to Pennsylvania to my uncle's farm to work for him. Uh, and I spent about, I don't know, about seven or eight months up there working with him. And of course, my diet changed. Uh, I was working on a farm, so I was doing more, you know, resistant stuff. 
but there was a dairy next door that had raw milk and I would go over and it was kind where you'd take the bottles over and leave the money because there's nobody working there. There's just a you know a refrigerator full of milk and they had cream on the top, like four inches of cream. You had to shake it. All many years later, when I was able to get raw milk again and it didn't have the cream on the top, I was so disappointed. I, I thought it was like fake raw milk, but uh, we would have you know, steaks every night and we would have bacon for breakfast. We would have potatoes every day and eggs and the eggs were cooked in the lard that was left over from the bacon. And, um, and, and again, look, I'm cautious that, that that might be fine for a teenager. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm not going to promote that for a 40 year old guy with a high LDL, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, you, you know, and it could have just been the calorie surplus or the increase in protein or the increase in sleep because we worked hard all day and it was Pennsylvania in the winter. And so we slept hard all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I put on like 25 pounds. I finally, you know, at that day and age with your puberty at 17 years old, cause I had finally given my body what it wanted and what it needed. Uh, and I, I grew like a weed for that very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then unfortunately when I got to college and started bodybuilding, the advice I got from the guy behind the counter at Gold's gym was cans of tuna fish and rice cakes. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of stalled my progress for a while because it wasn't enough calories. And- yeah. Uh, so I was in there. I thought that you built muscle in the gym. I bought Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding, and I started lifting weights two hours a day. I thought that was the fast track. The more I lifted, the bigger I'd get. And it wasn't until I met a, a, a bodybuilding coach, gym owner, uh, judge that said, look, you've, you've got to flip the script. You're training too much. You're eating too little. I need you to cut back on your. And, and to me, it was, you know, train less. What do you mean? And I, at the time, didn't understand that you don't grow in the gym. All you do is break down muscle tissue. It's just a stimulus. And I was overtraining. There's no question and under eating. And so now I, it's nice to see Brad Schoenfeld's work and Brett Contreras's and at all uh, talking about, uh, you know, what the minimum effective volumes and maximum recoverable volumes are and, uh, you know, where you experience diminishing returns in terms of, uh, you know, how, how much and how often you can lift and we have a pretty good understanding now, I think, of what leads, what op, what's optimal for hypertrophy and strength. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, for the vast majority of people, I think it's, it is a fast track. Uh, you know, obviously, once you achieve your, you know, kind of the, the majority of your newbie gains, you and I both know that it, it, it becomes a lot slower and the, 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 the plateaus are longer and, you know, the, uh, all the stuff that goes on outside the gym becomes more and more uh, obligatory, you know, every hour of sleep, every calorie, every, you know, every training session and measuring and progressing. And, uh, but generally speaking, you know, you and I are, we're the 1%, we're out there competing, but generally Mm -hmm. speaking for the vast majority of the population, we have a pretty good idea. I wanted to touch on one other thing that I think is really important because we talked a lot about information today and Mm -hmm. the information I, I think is generally agreeable and it's important. Um, but it's execution where I think that I talked about compliance as the science and designing programs that people can adhere to. That's part of their lifestyle. Uh, that's not, uh, you know, something that they just go on temporarily and come off. Um, and we talked about, you know, people trying to get their meals in, whether weight loss or weight gain. And in terms of execution, the things that lead to the most successful outcomes, the behaviors that people utilize uh, uh, that, that uh, afford them the best results long-term, one of the, the first and foremost is meal prepping. And we've seen this for decades in the bodybuilding figure fitness industry, carrying around your six pack bags and your Tupperwares. And it, it looks, it seems obsessive, but it's, it's extremely uh, effective and, and beneficial. 
And I just find that, that when my clients meal prep, they reach their goals on either end of the spectrum, whether it's weight loss or weight gain. If you have what you need when you need it and it's in the uh, quantities that, that fit your goals, uh, it's, con it, it's a convenience issue. It saves you time. It saves you money. Uh, whether you make it yourself or whether you use a meal prep company, and it's not a, an ad for my meal prep company and by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I, I do I do meal prep and I, I send meal prep to the clients and customers all over the country, uh, but because it works, and, and I also tell them here, you can do this yourself, here's the ingredients in the menu, uh, but you should do it yourself or, or uh, you know get meals brought in. And like with kids, you mentioned, uh, complying with the diet is the hard part. You know, you'd no sooner send your kid out to a football game without a helmet and pads. I don't think he should leave the house without a couple of thermos with his meals for the day, especially as an athlete that goes to school and then does practice after school. Mm -hmm. uh, and the thermos is, and I don't make any money saying this, it, it was life-changing for me because I used to carry around Tupperwares and have food, you know, get cold and, and nasty and, mm -hmm. and not be able to find a microwave and et cetera. Uh, those little $20 thermos, little 24 ounce double insulated, um, those little 24 ounce thermos on, on Amazon uh, were life changing for me. I was suddenly I was I was it was like freedom, you know, mm -hmm. from having to, to go to a fast food place or eat at the airport or room service. And uh, so in the mornings, and this is the way I prep my kids, I have an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and when I'm making my breakfast in the morning, I'm making this giant mash in a, in a big silver uh, mixing bowl that you could put over your head. And <laughs> I've got like three pounds of hamburger, because it's it's me, three meals, and then it's my kids, you know, and I, I've got, you know, a whole thing of bone broth and some white rice and, 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 and you know, some scrambled eggs, and I'm mixing it all up with my mashing tool, and, and I'm using my, my plastic... Uh, jarring funnel to put it into my thermos and and then I'm I'm putting those together and I'm even if I'm working out of the house I'll set those I'm done for the day I've already mm -hmm. cooked my next two meals yeah I don't have to go to the kitchen or you know and if I have to go pick the kids up and take them to practice or something or if they want to stay at the park late I've got what I need it's not a concern to me Mm -hmm. And so I do the same thing with my kids I you know I'll prep their meals so that if they want to stay after school for a while they, they've got what they need uh, but I encourage all of my clients, you probably have seen, you know, Hawthor was on the movie set at the Game of Thrones and he would have to stop periodically because he ate on the clock. You know, when you're mm -hmm. 440 pounds, it, it become it's a I, I say it's a, uh, you become a victim of circumstance. You're almost imprisoned by these obligations, the, the, the needs that your body has. And it, if it needs 7000 calories to maintain, you know, then you have to give it to it or mm -hmm. it's, you know, you'll, you'll start to have a decline in performance. And. Um, but Hawthorne would stop in the middle of HBO's shooting and, and be like, I have to eat. And he would sit yeah. there out of his thermos, you know, and Brian Shaw used to, I, I met him on a movie set here in Vegas many years ago, and he used to have pizzas being delivered all day long. They'd send in large pizzas. The downside of that is, is that he always suffered from significant gastric distress and diarrhea and digestion problems and um, and so when we switched him over to the vertical diet using more whole foods and more easy to digest foods uh, that wasn't so high in fat, uh, which can can for a lot of people lead to loose stool mm -hmm. uh, just because of the, the inability to produce enough bile to break down the, the fats. Um, uh, he had, you know, he was able to uh, comply with the diet and eat more calories. 
Um, same with Lane Johnson, the Philadelphia Eagles. He, um, he was assigned to diet by a registered dietitian. Again, not an indictment on registered dietitians because my, my co-author is one. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes, uh, like you said, individuals who are trying to gain weight have to eat a little differently. Um, and they had assigned him a, a diet of mostly chicken breast and five cups of quinoa a day. <laughs> he just couldn't consume it. Talk you about know? digestive and, problems. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, there's a person who never had to eat six thousand calories a day, you know, who mm -hmm. assigned that diet. Try eating it one time before right. you give it to someone else. Which, which is a lot of what you and I do is from practical experience. Like you said, you know, this this worked for me. I don't necessarily think it's going to work for you, but mm -hmm. uh, or, or I don't presume that it's going to work for you. But here's the reasons why, you know, these things work for me. Mm -hmm. And so I set him up with a diet that, that, you know, we kind of refer to as the vertical diet with that, those foundational principles. But as you're trying to add more calories, you need simpler, easier to digest foods. That's why I kind of where I get into the white rice mm -hmm. and a guy like Lane uh, using the bone broth, just because mechanically speaking, if it's, if it's, if it's mashed up and it's, and it's moist, it's a little easier to consume more of it, to digest faster, and you can eat again sooner. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just weigh, it doesn't weigh as heavy on your gut, and you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have problems with, with race in the bathroom all the time. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, and even something like the white rice, I would have them sprinkle a little bit of dextrose on it, mostly to increase amylase and, and saliva, mm -hmm. just to make it easier to consume, um, because the difference between a say a three thousand calorie diet and a four thousand calorie diet is three cups of rice. Yeah, that's really it. Nothing else changes at that point because you've already got your foundation of protein based on your body weight. Mm -hmm. You've already got sufficient, you know, uh, carbohydrates and fats and, and and micronutrients like we talked about. You know, the potassium and the calcium, and the yogurt and the potatoes and the fruit. Mm -hmm. um, so the only thing that changes if you need an extra thousand calories to fuel your demand, whether it's a, a, a large body or a high workload, if you're a CrossFit or training twice a day, the only thing that changes is you just, you just need some more carbs to fuel the workload. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, three cups of rice, there's your thousand calories. And some people might put in, say, three cups of, uh, of, uh, of milk, maybe add eight or 12 ounces of milk to each of three or four meals a day. Mm -hmm. That'll get you another 600 to a thousand calories. So mm -hmm. Uh, that's kind of, you know, whether it's liquid calories or whether it's the rice, that's how I, uh, get calorie surpluses for people who are having a hard time consuming enough food to maintain their, their mass or their workload. I think another big thing, Stan, to visit with this conversation is you're talking about the mash. People have a tendency, just like fitness and social media, we have food, right? They have a tendency to overcomplicate the food part of it as well. Yeah. Really? you can knock out a basic meal prep in a pretty minimal amount of time. If you're just looking at real foods, because it's less complicated that right way, right? Rice, beef, maybe throw in a veggie, you're good. Right. So yeah. um, I think that's, we have a tendency to want to make these fancy meals and stuff when in all actuality, basics is easy and it's meeting your nutritional goals and it's also saving you time. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? Most people tend to eat the same one or two things at each meal. So most people tend to eat the same one or two breakfasts or the same one or two lunches or the same one or two dinners, and then mm -hmm. occasionally have something, you know, variety of something that, that they, that they may have a preference for. And so the idea that you need all this variety right out of the gate is inconsistent with the way you're currently eating. And, and, like, and like you say, it saves time, it saves money. So I don't mind making these recommendations that people eat. We also know in terms of what we call food reward, that when you eat the th same things pretty consistently, you tend to eat less of them. Mm -hmm. 
when you open the fridge and there's your prepackaged, there's your Tupperware of food that you already know you're going to eat, chances are you'll eat less of it. But if you open the fridge because you're hungry, which leads to eating on a schedule, because if you regularly eat at the same time, your body tends to adapt to those times. And so you aren't as hungry. Mm -hmm. But if you open the fridge when you're hungry, now you're looking for something you're hungry for. And that leads to overconsumption. Right. 100%. I love it. We open up the fridge and it's like, boom. And I prep for my husband and my kids and myself. Like my kids, they get off the school bus. My nine-year-old gets off the school bus, goes in, finds her color coded thing (laughs) and pops it in the microwave. It's easy. Right. Uh, but you know, sometimes I get the munchies like yesterday, I need to bring my calories up, but, uh, I get the munchies and I was like, okay, well, what do we got? Okay. Yep. It's only the crap that you have prepped. So here we go. You know, I mean, my go-to lately, this is hilarious. You'll get a good laugh out of this, but um, some homegrown kefir, like dairy kefir, and then in in 12 ounces of egg whites. So I'll do eight ounces of kefir, 12 ounces of egg whites, perfect protein, fat, and a little bit of carbs. (laughs) There's the snack. We got it figured out. And and kefir tastes great. So you hit on a good point there with uh, binging behavior or, uh, you know, just you shouldn't abstain from the foods that you like. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're the type of personality that can control the portion sizes, then please continue to include those in your diet and measure them and weigh them. And, uh, but if you're the type of person who tends to overeat those, you know, once you pop, you can't stop. Wasn't that Pringles advertisement? (laughs) You know, if you can't have just four potato chips and you eat the bag, then you probably shouldn't have the bag in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one trick that we use. We just ask them to get rid of all those things out of the house. Doesn't mean you can't have them, but it creates a barrier to entry. Now you got to get in the car and drive somewhere to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, the alternative is if you're at home at night, you would find something in the fridge to eat because you're, you're hungry or bored, right. uh, you know? And so then we try and provide those alternatives and something that could be satiating and, um, at the same time, lower calorie and, and, Things like kefir, fat-free Greek yogurt, added with some low-sugar fruits like strawberries or blueberries, and uh, can make for a nice little snack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lane Norton's favorite is popcorn. Mm-hmm. He gets lots of fiber from it. It's low-calorie. Although I went to Costco and I was looking at those bags of popcorn that they have, and they're just loaded with oils, and so they're like 1,200 calories. Mm-hmm. So you got to be caught care- careful that not all popcorn's the same. There's there's right. hidden calories in there. Uh, I kind of like. Um, uh, beef jerky too. There's, there's one, uh, that's a low, sh- low sugar. It's like less than two grams of sugar and, uh, low fat, um, that, uh, Costco sells. I'll think of the name of it here in a minute, but, uh, I used to eat quite a bit of that. It's a little higher in salt. So it kind of depends on how you respond to sodium. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. a concerned about it for people who are healthy individuals that exercise regularly, but there are those that are salt sensitive and hypertensive because they're overweight that you got to be kind of cautious. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole nother chapter in the book on, on, you know, sodium intake and, uh, and how some people actually respond poorly to too low of sodium. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they call it orthostatic hypotension when, uh, you know, it's my experience that a lot of this stuff, just from experience, I've been training clients for 30 years and I would get, say a middle-aged woman or upper middle-aged woman would come into the gym and do a leg press and then would stand up and have to hold on to the machine because she was dizzy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's orthostatic hypotension. That's the inability to regulate your blood pressure when you change from a seated to a standing position, mm-hmm. uh, which also happens with exercise and training because you're you're exhausting yourself while you're down there doing a bench press or what have you. 
-hmm. and just a little quarter teaspoon of salt, maybe an LMNT or one of those, uh, you know, salt uh, formulas from, from the grocery store or something. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes completely away. The next time they come into the gym, they're like, Oh my God, I feel fantastic. And uh, you know, but salt has been demonized and in, 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 in the cases of those hypertensive individuals, probably rightfully so. Mm -hmm. uh, although the solution, even with the DASH diet on the sodium reduction, uh, the bigger piece of that was the fact that they raised their potassium intake, fruits and vegetables. Yeah. So uh, that is another way to balance water in the body for women who suffer from, say, edema, particularly during pregnancy and the like. Um, they get low potassium. And next thing you know, they got, um, you know, their ankles are swelling and they've got water retention. Um, and so you get your potassium up to 4,700 milligrams a day as we mentioned earlier with the, the daily potato and lots of fruit and, and a little bit of yogurt, mm -hmm. uh, then that problem, it balances the water. So I found, I don't know that, if I got, uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I say, I don't know if I got too far off track there, but I, uh, all those, everything kind of leads to, to the other and thing. We could go down rabbit holes all day long, honestly, because that's how it is in the, in the health space. Right. But you yeah. brought up the sodium thing. And just cause we're on that, that little portion here uh that was one thing i noticed is a lot of people you have people now going low carb and stuff and they're not getting enough so uh yeah. you know i had a a diabetic client that was reducing his his carbohydrate load in order to manage his diabetes he wasn't getting enough hydration but on the flip side of that he wasn't sleeping at night because he was also waking up three four times to go pee so we pulled in LMNT happened to be what we use, but we pulled in more sodium and potassium and he started sleeping through the night because he was able to hang on to that water a little bit better. So yeah. Um, and sodium helps with insulin uptake also. And mm -hmm. So you're, it's kind of a, you're kind of doing yourself. I see that with the keto flu, people eliminate carbohydrates. They see a five pound loss on the scale and they think that this is a successful diet for them. They don't realize it's water. Mm -hmm. uh, and 70% of water is sodium. And then next thing you know, they have an electrolyte shortage and they're getting tired. And mm -hmm. uh, so I see that. Now that's again, not to shit on keto, the resolution would be to get sufficient uh, electrolytes, you know, to add right. an LMNT if you wanted to go low carb. Right. Uh, and that's perfectly reasonable solution for that. Right. Uh, I would say this on, on that very note, it's just a couple of months ago, I had a type one diabetic client come to me and they were afraid to eat carbs, but they're also their performance in the gym was terrible. I said they would never get pumps and they were just, just not able to work out very long with very much volume or intensity. And so I designed a program based on some information I had received from uh, a highly regarded um, medical doctor in the diabetes with diabetics. And he had put forth some research to show that type one diabetics could cut their insulin in half. Uh, if they would do 20 minutes of Stairmaster after a meal, mm -hmm. uh, because the the uh, blood sugars are absorbed into the muscle without the need of insulin. And so mm -hmm. uh, through that glute four pathway, well, I designed his training program because he wanted to lift weights. He didn't want to do cardio all the time. I designed his training program uh, so he could eat carbs in the meal, but then he would do his workout following eating. Mm -hmm. They were smaller meals, so they wouldn't impair his training session, but he was able to start throwing some fruit in there. Um, and then within say 15 minutes after eating, he would do his training. And so we just broke it up into say push, pull legs and on push day, if he ate three times that day, he would do, you know, a 20 minute chest workout after breakfast and a 20 minute shoulder workout after lunch and a 20 minute tricep workout after dinner. 
And on the days he didn't train, he would just do a recumbent bike, kind of a mild hit session or just pull the carbs out of that particular meal. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then, you know, pull day, he would do back and biceps and calves on, after the three meals. And then on legs, he would do quads after one and, and uh, hamstrings after another. So we we did his whole training program. And I kind of like the idea of multiple sessions. Anyhow, you, you, uh, I think you, you get uh, a lower elevation of, of uh, cortisol. Uh, you get uh, the, the more frequent stimulus to the muscle. Uh, I think that Greg Knuckles kind of tipped me off to that about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were designed the perfect program, uh, this is what I did with Stephanie Sanzo out of Australia, that popular fitness influencer down there. Uh-huh. She was having a lot of trouble and, and she was doing two hours of cardio a day. And I just said, let's replace the cardio with weightlifting. Let's do two a day lifting sessions. And she's been doing them ever since. She loves them. And all she does for cardio now is the 10 minute walks after meals. And then she lifts twice a day. Uh, and those lifting sessions aren't an hour. Those are, I mean, how long does it take you to do six good sets for quads? You're, you're in and out in 20 minutes, 25 right. minutes. You know, you come back later and do hamstrings, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It's not powerlifting. We don't need to rest five minutes between sets and, mm-hmm. and warm up for half an hour. You know, it's it's well, bodybuilding. Do you know who Brad Hollibaugh was? He was a big... Oh, of course, I trained so, with Brad. I, I knew Brad oh, here in the Northwest. Brad, yeah, was, Brad, Brad was my coach and one of my closest friends. He was actually, he yeah. lived right down the street from me. And oh, huge, there, yeah, world's gym huge mentor in my life anyway um whenever he was the best I've never trained with somebody like Brad he was so fun to train with but he's like half an hour that's it <laughs> like we yeah. go in we slaughter yeah. things in a half an hour and after that it is you're out and and on your way and that's how he always did it and I would it was so hard for me to get accustomed to even when he would send yeah. me over training programs so I was like what two sets what are we doing here yeah. <laughs> you know like but well, you know and what's interesting, Brad was ahead of his time and he was a freak. He was a giant guy. I loved uh, him. He and I both used to compete for uh, Shake at um, at uh, Powerhouse SeaTac mm-hmm. and used to do the Emerald Cup and we'd always co- compete as a team. And so, yeah, I've oh. trained with Brad and I've known Brad for, for knew him for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was way ahead of his time because now when you look at, uh, say, Schoenfeld's research, which I, I mentioned him. Uh, because he's probably one of the most prolific researchers uh, and well-regarded uh, in the world on 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 muscle and hypertrophy. Matter of fact, he wrote the book Hypertrophy. Yeah. Uh, and you know they'll put out research pretty consistently that suggests that anything over six sets, you get a, a significantly uh, diminishing return. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, and a, but at, at six working sets, kind of a Dorian Yates style deal. If you're not within a rep or two of failure, that set didn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't junk volume. This isn't, you know, it, it's, it's a set that, that is, uh, you know, you're warmed up and you're investing a, you know, a significant amount of effort into, mm-hmm. and it has to be progressed over time. But I apply that now because at my age, I, I can't recover from the higher volume work I used to do. And, uh, and I found that I respond very well. I don't exceed six sets per mm-hmm. body part. I go in on leg day, I'll pick two exercises. I'll do three sets of each. I might finish with an AMRAP and every other workout, I might work up to a top set of five with a 85% load. But uh, for the most part, I'm in that eight to 15 rep range, trying to get within a rep or two of failure and trying to progress a particular movement over a period of, uh, you know, four to six weeks and then mm-hmm. select a different movement when I've kind of topped out. So, and I'm also cautious about eccentric loading uh, and just, I, I think what I just call gross weight like a low bar back squat is going to cause me a lot more doms than than say a high bar with an angle plate underneath my feet. Right. Um, just because the, the it weighs more. 
-hmm. and it's going to have, you know, it's going to create more fatigue. Right. Also the eccentric loading. If I'm doing good mornings, uh, I like to set up some straps and just do the concentric portion. And then I kind of crash the weight down into the straps. I do this with my UFC fighters and football players too. And there's no reason whatsoever that these people should, should be crushing them with eccentric loading in the gym. Mm -hmm. Uh, and creating fatigue that's going to inhibit their ability to do their sport. Yeah. You know, so I, I do almost all concentric stuff, lots of sled work. I love that box squats, um, belt squats, things that are below the lumbar. Uh, you know, I, I don't do a lot of deadlifting unless they enjoy it and it's off season, mm-hmm. uh, particularly not for hypertrophy because it, it just doesn't have the range of motion. It's going to lend itself well to, the increasing mass, particularly the muscles that are, that are, you know, bodybuilding stage muscles, which is not your spinal erectors necessarily. Right. Uh, right. So I don't know. That's just like we say, these rabbit holes, they just, they keep, you know, well, and I think we talked on it, touched on it kind of already, but um, because you were saying what you can sustain and what you can do is what you're going to be successful at. But if there was one thing you wanted to get out to the listeners today on this podcast, what would it be? Oh, geez, I think we've covered so much of it already. Um, Compliance is the science. Consistency is everything. I've been doing this for 30 years. And if you have some discipline and some consistency and some good time management skills um, that that this can be, you can absolutely make, uh, get your, get excellent results within the confines of a busy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got, we've got kids, we've got careers, you know, we don't live in the gym. There was a time in my life where I did, uh, but anymore, I, I don't. I still have to get my kids ready in the morning and take them to school and I've got to work. And then, you know, my wife works. And uh, so if you if you use some of the things that we talked about today to create something that's sustainable and uh, allows you to, to get great results with uh, a big return on your investment. So you don't you don't spend, you know, you have limited physical capital and you have limited time. Uh, so I think a lot of the things we talked about today lent themselves well to setting yourself up to be successful. We talked mm-hmm. about that with sleep, just giving yourself an ample opportunity to, to be successful. Uh, we talked about what, with training, you know, you don't have to train as often or as long as, as you may believe. We talked about that with cardio, you know, 10 minute walks would suffice. You don't need to, to be a cardio bunny and do two hours a day of cardio. None of that is necessary. We talked about mm-hmm. that with food, how, how, uh, Time management with food can help you save time and money just by planning uh, ahead. But everything we talked about today is about economizing all of our efforts to get the best return with the least uh, time uh, uh, requirement. Right. Absolutely. Uh, So if people want to find you, where do they go about doing that? Everything Stan Efforting. StanEfforting.com is my website. That's where I have a link to my meal prep company and to my uh, Vertical Diet 3.0 ebook. Uh, soon to be 4.0, I'll be releasing shortly. Uh, Instagram is at Stan Efforting. And uh, on YouTube, I have a bunch of Rhino's rants that does, that I've put out over the years that, that are fun. And that's Stan Efforting on YouTube. Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate you spending time with us today. This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about me, my online programs, or to inquire about coaching, please visit www.connynightingale.com. And remember, nothing in the contents of this show is intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness, and it is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your primary care physician before implementing any new health protocols.